are listening to the audio preaching podcast from North Valley Baptist Church in Santa Clara, California, led by Pastor Jack Treber. Though located in the heart of the Silicon Valley, you will hear fervent, old-fashioned revival preaching from the pulpit of North Valley Baptist Church. It is our desire that you will be helped by this gospel message. Revelation chapter number three this evening. I would ask you to stand with me to your feet as we read our scripture text, if you're physically able. And tonight, I'll just read the text and just ask you to follow along silently as we prepare to consider this seventh church of these churches in Revelations chapter 2 and 3. We'll begin in verse number 14. Revelation chapter 3 and verse number 14. And unto the angel of the church of the Laodiceans write... These things saith the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of the creation of God. I know thy works, that thou art neither cold nor hot. I would thou wert cold or hot. So then because thou art lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I will spew thee out of my mouth. Because thou sayest, I am rich and increase with goods and have need of nothing, and knowest not, that thou art wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. I counsel thee to buy of me gold tried in the fire, that thou mayest be rich, and white raiment that thou mayest be clothed, and that the shame of thy nakedness do not appear. And anoint thine eyes with eye salve that thou mayest see. As many as I love, I rebuke and chasten, Be zealous, therefore, and repent. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man hear my voice and open the door, I will come into him and will sup with him and he with me. To him that overcometh will I grant to sit with me in my throne, even as I also overcame and am set down with my Father in his throne. He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches." Our Heavenly Father, this evening, how wonderful it is to gather with your people in your house, and most importantly, to gather in your presence. And Lord, we realize tonight that without you, that all of this is an exercise in vanity. And we pray that you would come, that you would manifest your presence in this place. I pray that the Holy Spirit might have free uh, course that he might move in our midst, that pray that you might rebuke, you might convict, Lord, that you might stir within our hearts a renewed desire and determination to live for you in these last days, so that when you appear, we may hear you say, well done, good and faithful servant. Help us tonight from the word of God. We'll thank you for it. For we ask in Jesus' name and for his sake, amen. You may be seated. Tonight we bring to a conclusion our series on the seven churches of Revelation chapter 2 and 3. And our series comes to a conclusion by looking at this seventh church, uh, this church of the Laodiceans. Now I want to remind you of how we can look. There are different perspectives from which we can examine these seven letters to these churches. First of all, we understand that number one, there is a primary situation. All of these churches were actual, literal churches, just like North Valley Baptist Church. God had placed them in a city. They were in that city. They were made up of people who had been born again by the grace of God. 
And in those individual churches, they had unique situations with unique problems that God had to address and God had to deal with. And can I say to you that we must keep that foremost in mind that God is interested in every church. He looks on every church. He examines every church. He says to every church, I know. And can I say tonight to North Valley Baptist Church, he says, I know. I know what's going on. I know where you're at. I know what the problems are. And I have the answer. I've written a letter to you. And if you'll just read my letter, I can solve your problem. Not only is there a primary situation, but we must be reminded that there is also within these letters a perennial reality. That is the conditions, the problems, the situations that existed in these seven different churches have in some measure always existed in the body of churches on planet earth throughout the church age. You can go and you could find a church that perhaps has the same problem that the church at Smyrna had. Maybe there's another church that has the problem that the church at Pergamos had. And so these are not unique, but these set before us an understanding of common situations that occur in every church throughout the church age. Not only that, but in considering these seven churches, we get a prophetic foretaste of the church age. That is, beginning with the apostolic time, with the church of Ephesus, moving forward all the way to the church of the Laodiceans, if we were to take a chart and map out church history, we would discover that it sets out before us the, the progression of the church throughout the various ages of time in church history. Now, most importantly for us tonight, we must remember that when we consider these churches, there is always a personal application. We're not just looking at a historical record. We're not just looking at something that has been or looking as a spectator from the outside because to, from, to every church, when Christ concludes his message, he always ends in the same way. He always ends with this statement, he that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. How many of you tonight have an ear? By the way, you don't even have to have two, you just have to have one. He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. And so we know that tonight there will be a message for me. There's something in this letter that the Holy Spirit wants to apply to my heart, to my life, to affect me, to make me more like Christ wants me to be. And so we always consider those things. Now tonight we examine the final church in this list, the church of the Laodiceans. If we consider the fact that this is the seventh church, and if you do any study of biblical numerology, you understand that seven is the number of completion, seven days complete a week, uh, and, and so on and so forth. So seven is the number of completion. This wraps up these messages to the churches. But also, the appearance of the Laodicean church on the scene signifies to us of the approach of the completion, the nearing of the end of the church age. If we were to look, in fact, in the very next verse that follows where we concluded our reading, if we look in chapter four in verse number one, John says, after this, what? After the message to the Laodicean church. After this final message to this final church, after this I looked and behold a door was opened in heaven. The first voice which I heard was as it were of a trumpet talking with me which said come up hither. 
Can I say to you, chapter four and verse number one reminds us that the next event on God's calendar is the rapture of the church. Now we are a premillennial rapture church. We believe that Christ is coming before the millennial kingdom can set up and before that happens, there is going to be a pre-rapture, a pre-tribulation rapture of the church. We're gonna be called away before the, the tribulation period unfolds on planet earth. That's seven years of judgment when God deals with his chosen people, the Jews, but also with the nations of the earth and with those who have rejected the offer of salvation. And so we are a pre-rapture, a pre-tribulation rapture believing. By the way, before God ever pours out judgment, he always delivers his own. To Noah, before he poured out the judgment of water upon the earth in the great flood, to Noah, God said, come in. To Lot, before he poured out fire on the city of Gomorrah, Sodom and Gomorrah, uh, before God poured out that judgment, God said to Lot, come out. And before God pours out judgment on this earth, God's gonna say to the believer, come up, and we're gonna leave this world, and we're gonna rise to meet him in the air, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. And so tonight, we're gonna look at this final church, which characterizes the conditions at the end of the age of grace. I want you to notice three things with me very quickly. Number one, let's note the problem. The Lord says to this church, I know thy works. By the way, he knows every church. He knows what's going on. And notice what he says in verse number 14. These things saith the amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of the creation of God. Here is the one who is speaking. He's the amen. That simply means truth. So the truth is going to speak to us tonight. The faithful and true witness. As one man would say, nothing but the facts. By the way, we live in a generation that considers feelings more important than facts. Could I just say to you that God considers facts of greater importance than feelings? And God says tonight, this is the faithful and true witness and what I say you can count on, you can depend on. I'm going to speak the truth and what I say is going to be validated. It's going to be true. It's going to be just. It's going to be right. I'm not pulling any punches. I'm not trying to shade the meaning. I'm not trying to put a spin on anything. I'm just simply going to give you the facts of this church at Laodicea. And then he says the beginning of the creation of God. Now, someone might say, well, that means that Christ was created, a created being. No, that simply means that he is the origin of all that God has created. Colossians chapter 1 and verse number 16, speaking of Christ, says, For by him were all things created that are in heaven and are in earth, visible and invisible, whether they be thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, all things were created by him and for him, and he is before all things, and by him all things consist. So this is the one who knows everything. He made everything. Everything exists by his power. And tonight, to this church at Laodicea, and likewise to us, he is going to give us nothing but the facts, so it'd be good for us to attune our ears and see what he has to say. Notice, first of all, the problem. By the way, this is the only church for which the Lord has no commendation. He has nothing good to say about this church that we're studying tonight. There is only rebuke. 
You say, well, what's the big issue? What's the big problem? Well, I'm glad you asked because the Bible gives it to us. We could sum it up in three words. Number one, the problem is independence. Did you notice how this letter is introduced? Could I just say, so many times we read through our Bible and we read through in a rush and we miss what God has said to us. Every word of God is there because God wanted it to be there. And notice how he introduces it. And unto the angel of the church of the Laodiceans write. Did you notice that that is unique in the address of all of these churches? Notice how he addresses the other churches. If we go to chapter two and verse one, unto the angel of the church of Ephesus. Verse number eight of chapter two, unto the angel of the church in Smyrna. Uh, Verse number 12 of chapter two, and the angel of the church in Pergamos. Verse 18, the angel of the church in Thyatira. Chapter three and verse one, unto the angel of the church in Sardis. Uh, Verse number seven, to the angel of the church in Philadelphia. But now notice, and unto the angel of the church, not in Laodicea, but of the Laodiceans. You see, the focus, the, the emphasis is on the individual. Laodicea is a compound word. It's made up of two other words put together. And literally, the meaning is the rights of the people. Now, does that not characterize the day and age in which we live, the Laodicean age? Everyone is concerned about their rights. The Laodicean Christians are independent of all authority. There is no one who can instruct them and teach them and guide them and direct them along the pathway of life. They are not in favor and do not recognize pastoral authority. They do not recognize ecclesiastical authority. They don't want to hold to any domestic authority with the husband being the head of the home. They're not interested in talking about parental authority. In fact, they're like the people in the days of the judges in Judges 21, 25, every man did that which was right in his own eyes. Can I say to you, that is the spirit of the age in which you and I live. Every man doing that which is right in his own eyes. And here's what they will say to you. I've heard it a hundred times if I've heard it once. Well, I don't see anything wrong with that. Well, the, the question is not whether you see anything wrong with it. The question is whether God sees anything wrong with it. The reason that they have no authority in their life and they move according to their own will is ultimately because they have no biblical authority in their life. When you remove the authority of the Bible, you take away all other authorities because every other authority is founded and taught on the pages of Scripture. And when you remove the foundation of Scripture, then there are no other authorities uh, that really can take hold in your life and direct you. And so that's the spirit of the Laodicean church age. In fact, you say, well, I, I think you're just making something up. Well, notice what they said in verse number 17. They said that they have need of nothing. They're independent. In fact, they're so independent, they don't even need God. You say, how do you know? Because verse number 20, behold, I stand at the door and knock. Christ is not even in the church, he's on the outside. Things are going on like normal, things are being conducted, 
uh, services are going on. They're still having their regular order, order of service. The regular ritualistic things are going on. And Christ is not even in the midst. And they don't need him. They're independent of everything. Independence is the first problem. What's the second problem? The second problem is indifference. Notice what he says. I know thy works, verse number 15, thou art neither cold nor hot. I would thou art cold or hot, so then because thou art lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I will spew thee out of my mouth. They're neither cold nor hot. They're satisfied with the status quo. They're not interested in being on fire for God. They're not interested in just completely abandoning Christianity or the church altogether, but just a nominal amount will suffice. They are like those who Hosea spoke of as being at ease in Zion. In Isaiah's day, they said to the seers, see not. And to the prophets, prophesy unto us, prophesy not unto us right things, but speak unto us smooth things. You see, they, they didn't want to be stirred up. They, they didn't want the boat to be rocked. They just wanted things to go along like they always have gone. They desire entertainment rather than exhortation. They're looking for acceptance, not admonishment. You know, somebody once said that the job of the pastor is to comfort the afflicted and to afflict the comfortable. And that's a pretty good description of his job. And can I say to you, there is a danger in our becoming so comfortable in where we're at that we become neither cold nor hot. We're not cold enough to feel like we're backslidden and need to get right with God, but we're really not on fire for God. We're not doing all that we could for God. We're not dedicated to God. We're just kind of riding along in a comfortable state, and we don't want anyone to mess up our comfort. And their problem was they were just simply indifferent. They didn't want to choose a side one way or the other. In fact, if you ask them, they would reply like the one man uh, replied when he asked. He said, I am neither for nor against apathy. In other words, I'm just apathetic about apathy. You ask them what their favorite color is and they say plaid because they don't want to choose a color. They don't want to have to make a decision. Just indifferent to the things of God. If I make it to church, it's okay. If I don't, it's no big deal. If I can make it to Sunday school, when Sunday school starts up, that's fine. But you know, if it's a little inconvenient, if I have to get up a few minutes early, it's no big deal. It's just Sunday school after all. Just indifferent. If I make it to Saturday night prayer meeting, well, that's okay. But you know, if I got something else going on, if it's going to cause me a little trouble, I'll just skip it. It's not that big of a deal. That's the spirit of the Laodicean age. Not only are they characterized by independence, not only are they characterized by indifference, but really they're characterized by ignorance. Notice verse number 17. Because thou sayest, I am rich and increase with, uh, increase with goods and have need of nothing, and knowest not. You see, they're self-sufficient in their independence. They're self-satisfied in their indifference. And they're self-deluded in their ignorance. What were they ignorant about? Well, first of all, their values were misplaced. 
They said, I am rich. And he said, you don't even know that you're wretched and miserable and poor. I mean, you're wretched, you're not rich in things of real value. You're not rich in joy and peace and happiness and contentment because you're miserable. And you're not rich in material things that really matter because you're poor when God looks at you. Their values were misplaced. They had placed all of their values on something. They looked at it. They said, we're rich. And God says, oh, no, that's not the valuable thing. The valuable things are over here. And you have ignored them. You have neglected them. And when I weigh you in the balances, I find that you're poor. You're really not rich at all. Not only were their values misplaced, but their vision was myopic. You like that word? I think everybody ought to learn when you come to church and sometimes all you learn is a new word. Some of you will have to get your dictionary out on your phone and look that up. Myopic just means that you can only see things that are close up. I, I know how that feels. I'll never forget when I went to the, the uh, I guess it's the optometrist uh, to get my eyes checked the first time. I was just, I just barely turned 13, I think, and I didn't want glasses. You know, geeky people wear glasses and, I, I didn't want to be a geek and wear glasses. And so I went and, and, and he put the chart up there and he said, uh, all right, what's that top letter? I said, where's the chart? <laughs> he says, right up there where that light's at. I said, well, I can't see a letter. He said, well, can you, can you tell me which direction it's pointing? I said, I have no idea. I said, please don't tell me I'm gonna have to get glasses. He said, well, son, you can get glasses or a dog, but you're gonna need one of them. I, I am very myopic. I mean, it gets about three inches away from my eyes and I can't see. I take this off, I can't even tell who you are. It just looks, uh, just a big blur out there. And so uh, I have that problem in my physical eyes. The problem is, these people spiritually, they were myopic. They could only see nearsighted. Uh, they, they couldn't see things of eternal value. They couldn't see in the distance. They couldn't see in the future. Can I say that's a danger of the Laodicean church age is we get so focused on the here and now that we forget about the hereafter. We forget about the eternal. We forget about what's really gonna be important. We're so focused on instant pleasure and we only see that which is close. And God says of this church, you are blind. And then not only their values were misplaced and their vision was myopic, but their vesture was completely missing. He says, and thou art naked. The fig leaves of their self-righteousness were insufficient in the sight of an almighty God. Well, there's their problem. Independence, indifference, and ignorance. But now notice with me very quickly the prescription. God always has a remedy for those who want it. God always has an answer. I like the way he starts out verse number 18, I counsel thee. Everybody wants counseling today. All right, here it is. And by the way, you're getting it from the one who said that he is the counselor, the mighty God, the everlasting father, the prince of peace. This is one who never makes a mistake, who will never advise you wrong, who will never direct you in a wrong uh, direction, who will never give you bad advice. And he says to us tonight, those who live in the Laodicean age, he says to us, I counsel thee. All right, I'm listening, Lord, my ears are attuned. What do I need? Well, here's what you need. First of all, you need a return to spiritual values. Buy me gold tried in the fire that thou mayest be rich. He says what you need to do is you need to 
invest in things of eternal worth. Things that have been proven to hold true value by the fires of time and affliction. Things like prayer and Bible study and worship and soul winning and service of the Lord. Wouldn't it be great if we could return to the spiritual gold standard? Too many of us are trading in a devalued currency. We're thinking of things on a short-term basis and we're investing our lives and we're spending our time and we're focusing our effort on things that really another 50 years from now, they really won't matter. It won't make a difference. Instead, we should be investing our time and our resources and our efforts and our energies on those things of eternal worth that will last forever and forever. Only one life, so soon it will pass and only what's done for Christ will last. He said return to spiritual values. Not only do you need to return to spiritual values, but he says you need to return to spiritual virtue. He says, and buy me white raiment that thou mayest be clothed and the shame of thy nakedness do not appear. What is he talking about? Well, I think this white raiment is a symbol of uh, purity and cleanliness. He says over in Revelation chapter number 19 and verse number eight, or uh, yeah, verse number eight, uh, speaking of the church, and to her was granted that she should be arrayed, uh, arrayed in fine linen, clean and white, for the fine linen is the righteousness of saints. In other words, he says you need some spiritual virtue. You need to ter- return to a life of practical holiness. You know the word holiness is a frowned upon word in many circles. Uh, People don't like that idea of holiness and, and separation. We need to return to a life of holiness and godliness. He says return to spiritual values, return to spiritual virtue. And he says you need a return of spiritual vision. Anoint thine eyes with eye salve that thou mayest see. What do we need to see? Well, We need to see things from the eternal perspective. That is, we need to see sin and all of its vile wickedness. Paul writes in Romans and he says that sin might become exceedingly sinful. The problem is in our generation, we have been so inundated by the philosophy of the world and the present world culture that sin has lost its exceeding sinfulness. It's not really that big of a deal. We just kind of accept it. We get used to it. Uh, It doesn't bother us anymore. All that sin, we might see sin for all its vile wickedness like it really is, like God sees it. We might see sin as that thing which costs God the life of his only begotten son. Not only see sin in all of its vile wickedness, but we might see the lost in their hopeless estate. Too many times we're, we're like that man that Jesus, when Jesus first touched his eyes, he said, what do you see, that blind man? He said, I see men as trees walking. You know what? He had some vision, but he didn't have good vision. He was better off than being totally blind. At least he could see something, but he didn't have a clear vision of what he was looking at. You know, I wonder how many times we see men as trees walking. You know what trees are? Trees are something that we can use to benefit ourselves, How many times do we just see men as trees walking? Well, I wonder how he could help me. I wonder how she could help me. I wonder what I could get out of them. 
rather than seeing all men clearly as a person who has an eternal soul that will spend eternity in one of two places, either heaven or hell. We need to see men in their lost and hopeless estate, see eternity in its length, see the judgment seat of Christ and the accounting that we must give, how we need a return to spiritual vision. So how are we gonna get those things? Well, notice his words. It's very interesting to me. I counsel thee to buy of me. Now that seems different, doesn't it? We usually think of coming to God and getting things at no cost. He offers them to us freely. That's the way salvation was, right? We ask and he gave it to us. But he says in this case, he says in this situation, I counsel thee to buy of me gold, white raiment, anoint thine eyes. In other words, there is a price associated with the acquisition of what you need. It's going to cost you something. You say, well, what's, what's the price? What's the cost? Look at verse number 19. Be zealous, therefore, and repent. See, here's the cost. Here's the price. Repentance and yielding to God. And the tragedy is many in the Laodicean age would rather not pay the price than acquire what is necessary. Now notice very quickly the plea. The problem, the prescription But notice the plea, verse number 20, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. Now the Lord closes his message with a plea to this church. Think about the tragedy of this plea. I stand at the door and knock. Think about how far he has come. All the way from the portals of glory, across the universe, stepping down across the stars to a little stable in Bethlehem walking for 33 and some third years on this life, uh, on this earth, wrapped in a robe of flesh, to be cursed, to be vilified, to be crucified, but yet to rise again. He has come all the way, and now he stands at the door of this church knocking. How far he has come, how near he has drawn, but think of how distant he is kept. This is the church Paul said the church which he purchased with his own blood and yet he's not even invited in. He stands at the door and knocks. Like an owner who has made a purchase and yet is deprived of enjoying that purchase. Like a tenant who has rented a home and yet is denied access to the place that he's paid for. How distant he's kept. But think about how long he has waited. Do you realize that nearly 2,000 years passed since John wrote these words? Yet could I say tonight he stands at the door and knocks? How long he has waited? Not only the tragedy of this plea, but think about the testimony. He says, behold, I stand at the door and knock. Why is he there? Look at verse number 19. As many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. He's rejected. He's been cast out. 
and yet he still loves and he still waits for an invitation to come in. But notice the thrust of it. He says, I knock if any man hear my voice. Do you notice that though he's talking to a church, he narrows it down to the individual, if any man. You see, it is a personal call, which means there's a personal choice. There's a stranger at the door. Let him in. He has been there off before. Let him in. We used to sing that song. Can I say tonight, he stands at the door of the Laodicean church and knocks. You say, but preacher, that's not us. We're that Philadelphian church that Brother Martinez preached about last week. We're, we're the one who's on fire for God. We're the one. Could I just say this? It is very easy to be a Laodicean Christian in a Philadelphian church. Because you can hide. Everybody else is doing, everybody else is working, many other people are carrying on the ministry. And in your independence and in your uh, indifference, you can just slip in and you think everything's okay, but you don't realize that you're sitting there in your ignorance, thou knowest not. I wonder, I wonder if we could see like he sees tonight. I wonder if we looked across our auditorium, if we were to flash it up on the screens, as across the top of each of our heads was labeled whether we're a Philadelphian Christian or a Laodicean Christian in a Philadelphian church. Well, it might cause us to hang our heads in shame. But you see, there is an answer. Be zealous, therefore, and repent. He's knocking. You have an, you have an invitation. You have an opportunity. There is a chance. You know, amazingly enough, in this church, the only church to which there is no commendation, you don't read about any doctrinal error. You don't read about any moral disorder. Just things we don't think much of. Independence, indifference, ignorance. And the whole time, Christ is kept out of the midst. Have you wondered why sometimes we come and it seems like there's no move? Maybe it's because he who wants to move is outside the door. Knocking, saying, I'd love to be in there. I'd love to walk in your midst. I'd love to move among you. But because you're a Laodicean individual, you're keeping me outside. Could I say tonight, if you're here without Christ, is there room in your heart? He stands at the door and knocks. Dear Christian, is there room in your life? Could you move aside that indifference? Could you move aside that independence? See, I don't want to be ignorant of the situation. I want Christ to come in and take, not just be present in my life, but to have the preeminence in my life. I want my life to be all about Christ. Young person, is there room in your plans? 
He waits tonight and he knocks. Let's ask ourselves, let's ask the Holy Spirit to open our eyes and ask us, am I the Laodicean Christian in the Philadelphian church? Thank you for listening to the audio preaching podcast from North Valley Baptist Church in Santa Clara, California, led by Pastor Jack Treber. For more information about our ministry or to find out how to get in contact with us, visit our website at nvbc.org. May God bless you as you serve Him this week.